The Old Testament reading is a portion of the David and Goliath narrative which dominates 1 Samuel chapter 17. When I planned this three-week series, this is week two of the three about David, I had no idea that it would fall right in the middle of the communication that I had to share and the session had to share earlier this week about my needing to lay down this pastoral call to tend to the needs of my family. I thought about changing it, the sermon, but then I thought, in David's life, whenever David kept his eyes on God, everything worked. And when he didn't keep his eyes on God, nothing worked. And so now a portion of 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are just a boy, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth and it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, the Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor and he tried in vain to walk because he wasn't used to them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi and put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch. His sling was in his hand and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came on and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him for he was only a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. The Philistine said to David, am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field. But David said to the Philistine, you come to me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and all, that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand into the bag, took out a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. The word of the Lord. 
At the very beginning of this chapter, when David arrives in this camp, David is marginal to the scene and surrounded by cynics. Despite what you may have heard about this story, notice anew, at the beginning of this, nobody cares about David. Nobody notices him. No one is glad that he is there. David looks around Saul's camp and smells fear. They're all dwarfed by Goliath and the Philistines. The entire community is terrified. Saul, the king, is immobilized. Nobody has the wits or the courage to mount an initiative because the rulers of that age as well as this age are loud and fearsome and compelling. And it appears they can't be stopped, let alone contained. Someone once said that a cynic is someone who started out as an idealist but has seen it all and didn't like any of it. Well, on this summer Sunday, what fuel, if you look around this globe, what fuel we have for our cynicism and despair. The Mexican government has reported that 2,000 of their citizens were killed in May, the highest number since they started tracking the drug war fallout 20 years ago. There goes Goliath. In Syria... Reports from the first half of this year include the deaths of 1,159 children and 742 women as Goliath seems to have escalated from spears and javelins to chemical weapons. Again, yesterday, like every other day of their lives, residents of the West Bank had to endure a four-hour trip to see their family who lived a half mile away because of a separation barrier. Goliath. Almost 40% of American children will spend at least one year in poverty before they turn age 18. Goliath sure casts a shadow. And the shadow hunger casts falls on nearly one billion people on this planet as we gather here this morning. A child dies every five seconds on this globe from hunger-related problems, Goliath. There are 22 million refugees worldwide caught between permanent fearful displacement and returning home and facing violence, having a choice between Goliath or Goliath. And here we have our text this morning, David slaying Goliath. Sure, this is a great Bible story, but in the real world, In our world, Goliath seems to be winning. Sex trafficking at an all-time high, Goliath. A dozen more immigrants suffocate in the back of a truck, Goliath. We can look out at our world and see the same thing David did on that hillside long ago, camped against the Philistines. And Goliath seems to be doing really well in our world. Up against Goliath 2017, it seems that the movers who traffic in security and the shakers who traffic in affluence and the hucksters who traffic in faith are doing just fine. Goliath, though, isn't just a global threat. I think you've probably noticed that Goliath has a way of moving into your neighborhood and mine and making a home right there. We may well begin any given day with high resolve, but today we're going to be faithful and true. We're going to be bold and kind. 
We're going to be trusting and without anxiety. But any day can conspire to erode our David-like resolve. Your lab results are in. Your mother and I have decided to live apart. I don't think I love you anymore. We're making some changes and your services will no longer be required. He's very sick, you better come now. I'm calling about your daughter. Hey mister, can you spare a dollar? Can you spare some change? These are only some of the ways our seemingly secure purchase began to wobble. As followers of Jesus Christ, trying to make a difference in the world, we need some sign that innocence and truth do hold their own against cynicism, or Goliath will always win. The story of David facing Goliath in 1 Samuel 17, this is one of the most powerful signs in the Bible. If we can see beyond the cartoon version of this text to what is really at stake, Israel never tired of talking about David. For David is such a story of triumphal innocence. He never conceded reality to his adversaries. David rarely purchased his life through cynicism. There were seasons in his life when he did, but that was not the main narrative of his life. David arrives on the scene here at the beginning of this chapter, having just been anointed, and encounters the paralyzed quiet of Israel in response to the shrill assertiveness of Goliath. Goliath, who's the whole military industrial project embodied. <clears throat> Goliath, who not only traffics in arms, he trades in intimidation. Goliath, who rushes straight into the hearts of the frail Israelites and empties them of all hope. And here is David. David, who will embrace neither the pitiful, convenient shyness of Saul, nor the loud abrasiveness of Goliath, but will, who will have a different say and who will live a different life. David, who will permit neither dull fear nor loud pizzazz to find his life and his faith. David, who faces Saul in his cowardice, and faces Goliath in his gloating power. Into all this, whatever his doubts, whatever David's fears, whatever his level of faith and courage that day, whatever his own marginal feelings in the face of cynicism, which infects all of us sometimes, into all of this, David speaks. Face to face, with whomever we perceive to be the bullying giants of our life. We often struggle to proclaim the faith that is within us. Pushed by schedules, bowing down at the altar of busy, we feel powerless to live lives of purpose and meaning, but what can we do? Trading in that dull bar bargain, in other in order to not feel too good about life, we promise not to feel too bad either. We're kind of stuck in the middle of everything. But what can we do? Where is our faith when we face this gloating power of Goliath? The Goliath we see every single time someone small is humiliated by someone large. 
The Goliath we see every time justice is not done. Every time peace isn't rushing down like an ever-flowing stream. Every time suffering love made flesh is beaten to the ground or hung up to die. All these are Goliaths. And they seem to win most of the time. I haven't even mentioned the Goliaths called ice raids and security sweeps, the ones called opiates or racial profiling, or the ones called apathy and bitterness. The gloating power of Goliath is everywhere we want to find it. But what can we do? Well, David spoke. And David acted. David knew how we must speak if we were to fend off cynicism. And he does not use standard political flags or sound bites. And he does not employ religious cliches. Instead, 37 verses into this long chapter, David all of a sudden changes everything. He introduces into his speech a new dimension, something not included by Saul or acknowledged by Goliath. It's a breathtaking formulation that no one had used. David speaks out loud about the living God. The living God seems of little use when you're between two armed camps. The living God seems out of place when facing a giant or in the presence of a king. The living God doesn't seem to adapt well to our hyperdrive consumer culture where we all have a thousand choices for everything. The living God doesn't seem to fit when we're so caught up in the project of our own life, the things to be finished, the degrees to be earned, the children to be raised, the transitions to be endured, the deaths over which we grieve, illness from which to recover, careers to be advanced, wars to be won. Who has time for the living God when we've got all that? Besides, speaking of God like that out loud will look foolish to the world. And speaking of the living God in this culture will be costly. But notice what David is doing. With all the enemies and the pressing matters surrounding David, his mind is off himself. It's off his situation. That's not what he's focused on at all. He is not focused on the taunts of Goliath or the depression of Saul. David's attention is on the one who changes things. David utters the name of the living God. And in doing so, makes available to Saul and the Israelites and to all the generations of listeners ever since, including us, the long recital of the powerful acts of God through history. Times when God acted and where the marginal ones were made free and empires were made weak and the dead ones are brought to life and where the world gets to begin again. Do we believe this? When David joined Saul's encampment in the Valley of Elah, all the imagination in that valley was focused on heightened fear 
and utterly diminished imagination. The same debased imagination that treated Goliath as important treated David as insignificant. Arriving with 10 loaves of bread and 10 bricks of cheese for his brothers in the army, David was treated by them with withering scorn. Their imaginations were so ruined by Goliath watching that they were incapable of seeing or accepting a simple act of friendship. The moment you and I permit fear, let alone evil, to control our imaginations, dictate the way we think, shape our responses and how we treat one another, we are incapable of seeing the good and the kind and the true and the beautiful. In a world of cowardly cynicism and bullying power, David won't give in. He will not be domesticated to the way we've always done it because he knows God's way is always a different way. God's way is always a different way. David entered the Valley of Elah with a God-dominated, not Goliath-dominated imagination. And he was incredulous. Wasn't this army enlisted to serve the living God? What else do they need? Saul is almost, very close, brought to his senses. He responds with astonishment at all David is saying with the technical translation from the Hebrew would be, wow. But Saul in his fear can't get there. He wants yet to dress David in his helmet and in his armor and in his sword because he knows no other weapons. Saul has let crass, brutal power define him. The tools by which he thought he would survive and maybe could win. David immediately recognizes that Saul's weapons are the clothing of defeat. If you want to be killed by the Philistines, imitate the Philistine, dress like the Philistine, think like the Philistine, talk like the Philistine, and you will die. And so David departs Saul with such inadequate weapons to face a giant. Except David knows the story. And David knows the name of the living God. David's speech to Goliath all turns right there on that name, the living God. It does not turn on the five smooth stones of which we are endlessly fascinated fascinated by. David doesn't even mention the stones. He speaks the name. You have come with sword and spear and javelin, David says to the giant, but I come in the name of the living God of Israel. And you know, it's over right there. It's over. Goliath is dead long before David bothers with the slingshot. But David adds a final humiliation. Be it known to you, O Goliath, that this narrative really isn't even interested in you. You are not the focal point of anything, let alone this. We, on the other hand, are so good at making our biggest enemies and our biggest defeats the focal point of our life and giving it all of our energy. This is not about the bullies, David says. 
This is not about the enemies of the living God, pitiful as they are, but that all may understand the power of God is not displayed in sword or spear or javelin. It's not displayed in market forces or political expediency, nor in any of the conventional controls of state or church or party. The only time that works is when we get locked into fear and actually believe the false bravado of all our Goliaths. David knows the Bible's truth, that the power of the God who gives life is never readily packaged in any or easily contained in any of our conventions or agendas. The God of freedom, the God of justice, the God of peace breaks out in raw ways that regularly surprises the rulers of this age. Whether the surprised one be an arrogant Philistine or a cynical, fearful Israelite or someone sitting in church in Austin. Friends, slipping deep into the summer of 2017, I am here to tell you that your life does not need to be lived under the terms of either a dulled Saul or a brazen Goliath. These are not options before us because neither is an act of trust. Look at David. He is rendered in this story in such innocence. He's not complicated. He's not mystified with political power. He doesn't explain or calculate. He knows the name. That's all he needs. Maybe the most startling and life-building thing you can do on this lazy summer Sunday is go home and read all the way through 1 Samuel 17. Hear it with all its triumphal innocence. If you're alone, read it out loud so the words fill your space. If you're with others, then mark it and share it. Read it when you feel bullied by powers beyond your control. (laughs) Read it if you're the bully. Read it before you go to work. Read it before you go to the doctor. Read it as you decide on how to spend your money and who to give to. Read it when you choose how to fill up or not fill up your calendar. Read it in your depression or in your joy. Read it in the midst of your cynicism and despair. Read it before you vote the next time there's election and for sure read it the day after when the results are announced. If we read this story and we tell of this kind of story often, we will never sell out. We sell out Because we wear Saul's armor, we imitate the Philistines, we doubt David's speech, and we forget the name. But the living God on the lips of David invites us to live. In the horizons of the living God, David is the one who lives. The others have quit and grown mute here. The bullies and the cynics have no story, they have no speech, they have no word, they have no power. So at the end of this chapter, three things are true that weren't true before it started. The bullies are all vanquished. They no longer exist. There is only faithful, trusting, vulnerable David. And the living God 
is at the center of it all. 